Up to 14 large irrigation dams are being proposed along the east coast of the North and South Islands as part of a government policy to boost economic growth in the regions through intensification of agriculture. Supporters of irrigation dams say they'll create jobs and economic prosperity. But as this Radio New Zealand Insight program has been finding out, critics say the process of developing the dams is secretive and lacks transparency and will contribute to the continuing decline of water quality in our rivers and lakes. Craig Preston faces the prospect of having his central Hawke's Bay farm flooded and the building of an irrigation dam that will hold 90 million tonnes of water. It would be the biggest irrigation dam built in New Zealand history. But he supports the idea, saying the region desperately needs something to lift the local economy. Central Hawke's Bay's just gone backwards. I mean, the, the wealth that was in Waipokarao and Waipawa 40 years ago would just be huge in comparison to what it is now. We export our children. All our children, they just go. They go from the district. Can we have industries and, and a profitable community whereby people can just go down the road to see the grandchildren? And this dam will help lift that standard of living and perhaps have a reason why these children will stay in Hawke's Bay? I believe so. I believe that there will be jobs here that, that, that will come that will, will allow people to stay. However, critics of irrigation projects, such as Hawke's Bay Regional Councillor Rick Barker, say the public have largely been kept in the dark about the risks of such projects. Most of the publicity that's been put around the dam has been uh, the most glowing reports that can be in general details. So there's been artists' impressions of the dam. So the dam is there, full, and it looks like it's ideal for swimming, uh, jet boating, fishing and all the rest of it, which of course it won't be all the time. Uh, there's lots of reports about how many jobs will be created with this, but there's been no facts to substantiate this. Uh, there's been no hard analysis, just assertion after assertion. Uh, so it's been, been a challenge to get a clear picture of this for the public. Many Hawke's Bay Māori are suspicious of the Regional Council's plan to build a dam, saying under the Regional Council the state of the Tukituki River has got steadily worse over the past few decades. Matahiwi Marae Komatoa, Jerry Hapuku, says he won't let his grandchildren swim in the river he spent much of his childhood fishing and bathing in. We uh, swam in its river, I swam in the river, and uh, the flow was always consistent. Now, I don't go swimming there now, because of all the other things that I've read about, and it's polluting the water. I'm Peter Fowler, and I've been speaking to those affected by the plans in both Hawke's Bay and Wairarapa and investigating the business of building irrigation dams. National made irrigation a plank of its economic growth agenda in the 2008 and 2011 election campaigns, with plans to subsidise massive irrigation dams to intensify agriculture and boost the economy along the east coast of the North and South Islands. The aim is to lift the contribution of exports to gross domestic product from 30 to 40 per cent by 2025. The idea is to build vast irrigation schemes which give farmers in dry areas access to plentiful water in the summer. Hawke's Bay Regional Council's commercial manager Duncan McLeod is working with farmers to sign them up to the Luatanafa scheme and he says irrigation is a game changer in terms of giving certainty to farming practices. 
for those that um, enter into water, the change in mindset is, um, you know, currently it's keep a bit in reserve because you don't know what's coming next. The change in mindset is you can stock up your farm as if you know it's going to be a good year. Um, and if the rain comes out of the sky, then it's, that's great. If it doesn't, you turn on the irrigators and, and you deliver yourself a pretty good year anyway. Canterbury is cited by supporters of irrigation projects of how water storage can lead to a booming economy. Twelve proposed irrigation schemes have won taxpayer money from a $35 million pool to get such projects to what's called an investor-ready stage, with the Luatanafa Dam in Hawke's Bay being the most advanced. The government has earmarked $400 million from the partial sale of state-owned assets to co-fund irrigation and water storage schemes. The Economic Development Minister Stephen Joyce says irrigation dams have historically taken a long time to get through the consenting process and to pull investors together, so the government policy is designed to speed this up. The idea behind it is that irrigation schemes by their nature are you know, complex and they require a whole lot of people to act together, if you like, and a lot of the time that's taken up in terms of an irrigation scheme getting going is attracting the full range of investors that will benefit from the scheme. And particularly if you talk about farmers, they have you know, different places in their life cycle and so on. So the idea of a scheme was to say, well, if there's some gaps in the funding which will get filled over time, then maybe if the government can step in and, and, um, and purchase some shares in it at the sort of earlier stages, then you'll get a much faster uh, much faster development of the scheme. And some of the schemes that are in place now, which are excellent schemes by most people's standards, you know, just the, the period of time taken to get everybody together, to jump together, uh, is, is uh, very long. But the former Prime Minister and architect of the Resource Management Act, Sir Geoffrey Palmer, is worried that running alongside these development goals are plans to reduce environmental protections. He believes there's a direct link between the government proposals to subsidise irrigation dams and what he believes are plans to weaken the Resource Management Act. And the announced aim is very clear. And it is a commitment uh, to increasing New Zealand's agricultural outputs through irrigation and intensification of agriculture. And that seems to mean, at least as things uh, presently stand, more dairy farming in more parts of New Zealand. Uh, the result of that, of course, is going to be disaster for water quality in terms of our lakes, uh, rivers and streams. Uh, and so the changes to the Resource Management Act uh, that are proposed clearly stem, in my opinion, from the aims that have been articulated uh, in those ministry papers. Sir Geoffrey says the government's proposed changes to the Resource Management Act reduce the relative importance placed on environmental protection and increase relative importance on development principles. He says the proposed changes amount to a departure from the fundamental principle on which the Act was based, sustainable development. In other words, we are not going to have sustainable development. It will be environmentally polluting development on the basis of increased irrigation and intensification of agriculture. But the Cabinet Minister and Tukituki MP Craig Foss says the economic benefits of the dam would be massive. Absolutely huge, not only the build, but the certainty that gives to a growing season, drought mitigation of course, and jobs from the build, 
on the farm, on the orchard, on the cropping, right out to the port where more produce needs to be exported. Fantastic for the Bay if it's to go ahead. Hawke's Bay Regional Council reports say the Luatanafar Dam would create over 2,000 jobs and add $250 million in GDP to the economy each year. Critics, however, say there's been a lack of detailed financial information released on the Luatanafar business case. Craig Foss says he has some concerns about the way residents in Hawke's Bay were kept informed about the dam proposal. I think the communications around it initially weren't very good at all and they got sidetracked or there was a bit of a vacuum and that got filled by all sorts of information and those that are just opposed to it for their reasons, which fair enough, they're allowed to, they filled that void. But now the conversation's moved on to this means jobs for our families and uh, people in Hawke's Bay. But some of those concerns you know, come from quite an extreme environmental point of view. And again, testing them and being a wee bit pragmatic. The Heratonga Plains is intensive aqua, um, agriculture, horticulture. And that's what we already have. No one's arguing that we de-intensify the Heratonga Plains, because we all understand the benefits. So why on earth shouldn't we share those benefits across larger Hawke's Bay for more families down in Ruatanifa? It's an absolute no-brainer. But despite the confidence expressed by Mr Foss about the intensification of farming in the Ruatanifa Plains, an area that stretches from some of the region's main rivers across to the coast and encompasses Napier and Hastings, there are worries expressed in other regions where intensive farming is already in practice. The Canterbury District Health Board Medical Officer of Health, Alistair Humphrey, warned late last year that nitrates leaching into drinking water as a result of intensive agriculture in parts of Canterbury was a ticking time bomb. The Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Jan Wright, has released a report which shows a clear link between expanding dairy farming and increasing stress on water quality. She's warning water quality in catchments across New Zealand will continue to deteriorate without significant intervention. The modelling results in this report show increases in nitrogen everywhere in the country except Gisborne, um, where you've got more forestry. So it's a general problem, and some of those, the big increases in the nitrogen going into the waterways are in the east of the South Island, but... You have uh, increases going on in Manawatu, Waikato, lots of places where um, the and water in some of those catchments will be in a worse state to start with. The science around nitrates has proven to be one of the most controversial aspects of the Luatanifar Dam. The Hawke's Bay Regional Council commissioned a special computer model called TRIM, which showed for the Tukituki River the amount of nitrates leaching into the aquifers and rivers from intensive farming didn't matter. It said only phosphorus from the likes of town sewerage being pumped into the rivers needed to be managed. But the draft Department of Conservation document on Lua Tanafar, leaked to Radio New Zealand, says that approach may not be sufficient to support life in the affected rivers. It said it was a risky and untested approach. The stark contrast in scientific opinion led to the Board of Inquiry into the Luatanifar Dam extending its nine-month inquiry by a month, saying there was significant conflicting technical evidence, particularly on evidence about water quality. The Green Party leader, Russell Norman, used parliamentary privilege to question the research produced by the Hawke's Bay Regional Council to support its case on water quality. Supplementary question, Dr Russell Norman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Were GNS scientists working on the project 
pressured by the regional council into completing a report on the dam despite them strenuously objecting to the accuracy of the information they were supplied to work with by the regional council. Honourable Nikki Kay. The member does make an allegation in that, in that uh, his particular question. I've no knowledge of that allegation. Insight requested an interview with GNS Science to discuss whether there was any conflict of interest in its mission to produce public good science while also operating as a commercial business. No one from Genus Science would agree to be interviewed for the program, but it did issue a statement. Our commercial clients often supply us with their own data and information to undertake work for them. Unless this data has entered the public domain, it's usual for us to be required to keep their data confidential and only use it for their project. The results of the commercial project and any report written usually belongs to the client. They are paying for it, and it's confidential to them. This is so especially if the report contains a commentary or analysis of their confidential data. Our standard terms and conditions for consultancy services have a confidentiality clause. One of the front lines in the drive to build irrigation schemes is in Wairarapa, where about 240 potential dam sites have been narrowed down to about five. The chairperson of the Greater Wellington Regional Council, Fran Wilde, believes an irrigation dam in the Wairarapa would boost the economy. Irrigation is not necessarily about more water. It's actually about having reliable water when you need it. And that's the benefit of it in Wairarapa, that when we have another drought... Uh, we can, people can continue to grow. She says in a point of difference to Hawke's Bay, the Greater Wellington Regional Council is only funding the feasibility stage and will not put money into the construction of the dam. We will not be an investor, a capital investor in the water scheme in the same way that Hawke's Bay Regional Council is. Why not? Because we think that's something, if the, the scheme has to be run uh, commercially, as I said, it's probably not the best profit centre in the world, but we think they have to be commercial to actually work, and it's not our role to be in uh, commercial activities of that nature. One of the five sites under investigation in Wairarapa is the Munga Tariri Valley in Carterton District, and one of the landowners in the proposed dam footprint, Paul Baker, says out of the 15 landowners that might be affected by the scheme, 13 do not want to sell or have anything to do with the irrigation dam. He says for the past 17 months they've lived under the threat of being forced to sell their land under the Public Works Act so private investors can develop an irrigation project. This isn't like creating a site for a public road or creating... Uh, a quarry to make uh, facilities to stop the next invasion. This is simply a project to secure water supplies for intensified agriculture so that those people using the water can make more money. I see it as very likely that the government is using the powers of the state to team up with others and acquire privately owned assets for other interests' ends. Fran Wilde has visited the landowners in the Mangatariri Valley and says she has sympathy for their position. A number of these people bought properties there. They thought, this is it, this is our lifetime dream. Some of them are off the grid. They have done amazing things. And then uh, an outside party comes along and says, oh, by the way, we might want your property um, you know, to be flooded behind a dam. And that's pretty awful. Um, so I've been urging our people working on this to hurry up the investigations and get through this stage as fast as possible so we can give them certainty 
and um, we're looking at hopefully being able to um, make some early decisions um, in several months' time at the end of this year. But the last couple of years have been difficult for them, I acknowledge that, and we do try and assist by giving them all the information that we have so they actually know what's going on. How appropriate do you think it is to use the Public Works Act uh, to take land which will benefit private investors? People don't make a lot of money out of being an investor in an irrigation scheme. That's the first thing, um, which is why a number of them are cooperatives. Um, second thing is that the objective of the scheme over all the valley would be to actually um, drive economic um, activity and economic growth. And we believe that the economic activity that is there kind of downstream from a scheme like this is huge. Wairarapa needs this, so it's not just for a few. We're looking at it because we believe it has widespread economic benefit for the whole community. Another landowner in the Mangatereri Valley, Mike Bennett, says the council has supplied details, but some key information, such as on the economic benefits, either hasn't been done or hasn't been supplied. We have requested information, for instance, about uh, what economic studies have been done um, as to the benefits to the community and so forth. The answer is we can't supply or won't supply that because we haven't done those studies yet. We've asked questions about studies that have been done to do with alternatives, um, for instance, off-river storage, on-farm storage options and things like that. Same answer. Um, we, can't, we, we won't supply that information because we haven't done those studies yet. Don't you think that's sort of the information they should be doing before they start uh, perhaps indicating they're going to take away your land? One would have thought so. About three years ago this emerged as a full-blown project where it was essentially a given that the wider upper needed this massive valley-wide irrigation scheme. Uh, but this wasn't discussed in the community. It was... was um, there was no community discussion, there were, no one voted on it, it wasn't discussed at, at local council level, um, there have been no referendums, no nothing. It just suddenly appeared that from somewhere that, that this is a given, this is what we, we need to do, it's a good idea, let's press forward and do it. Mike Bennett says the landowners have been using the Official Information Act to access meeting agendas and minutes so they can build a picture of what's going on. He says through his requests, He's discovered those investigating water storage have identified media attention as a risk to the dam project. One of the, um, a couple of the meetings that, that we had meeting notes from, there was discussion about the risk of um, the project appearing in the media um, at that stage, and we're talking a year or two ago, um, that was deemed a risk that knowledge of the project via the media. Um, that, that it was a risk to the project and that there was some um, gratification that that hadn't occurred yet uh, in those meeting notes. So that was a bit of a puzzle. Carterton's Mayor Ron Marks says the Greater Wellington Regional Council has taken action to shut down the use of the Official Information Act by setting up a committee outside of the Local Government Act which means it's not subject to official information requests. Well, the letter of notification that we received from the chair of the Greater Wellington Regional Council advising us that this group had been set up made it clear that this new governance entity sits outside of the Local Government Act and that's not something that Carterton Council is comfortable with at all.
Because what does that mean? Well, that means that they are not open to public scrutiny and the minutes that they produce are not actually available. It's, uh, it means that they simply sit outside of all the processes that the Local Government Act applies to any committee formed by a territorial authority, which is doing work for the people of that authority. Um, normally you can turn up to a meeting and sit in on that meeting and, and hear what transpires. You can get the order paper, you can get the agenda, you can get the minutes. Fran Wilde has a strong response to the concerns put forward by Ron Mark about the creation of that specialist group to liaise with the government. Half of the funding for this is coming from central government and they have made it clear that they wanted a more focused um, management of the project with a smaller group that could meet regularly and be a bit more hands-on. And so we've, we put in that layer basically on their recommendation because we don't want to lose the um, government funding. Why does the WWUP governance group sit outside the Local Government Act, uh, i.e. it's not open to public scrutiny? Um, it's talking about commercial um, issues. Uh, so we're looking at funding and those sorts of things. The chief executive of Fish and Game at Bryce Johnson says he's concerned that regional councils are using stakeholder groups to pull in interested parties which are then muzzled from talking publicly about what's being proposed. He says it's a deliberate tactic to try to suppress public discussion of the issues. In other words, you essentially get sort of corralled in behind closed doors. You don't really get a chance to put your your case or your issues in front of the sort of the court of public opinion. Uh, and um, basically the, the public gets cut out of the process and those who are managing the process get to essentially control the outcome. And so if you can keep this debate as much out of the public arena as possible, I think that makes the political uh, direction of travel that much more easier for the proponents of development. Uh, and I think that's what they're trying to do. Hawke's Bay Regional Council Chairman Fenton Wilson says his take on the stakeholder process was all parties entered into it in good faith and there was a good and varied dialogue. He rejects any suggestion there was a predetermined outcome. Back in the Mangatereri Valley, if it is chosen as a site worthy of further investigation, many residents vow they won't cooperate. Farmer Vicky Feast owns 800 acres of land, which is key to the proposed Mangatariri Dam. She built a unique house from materials gathered from her farm and says she's not budging. The first I ever knew about it was in 2012 and they put a, a map under my nose and I said, well, I'm underwater, and they went, yeah, as callous as that. And they told me, at that point, they told me they'd shift my house and I've been trying to get them to put it in writing, that they'd do that, and they won't put it in writing. What's your thoughts about the whole process? Disgusting. Don't, I don't know what else to say. Just disgusted by it. And I've told them just to go away and leave me alone, but they won't. They just, they're ruthless. They don't have hearts, I've decided. They've got no hearts. What sort of psychological effect is this having on you? Well, um, I don't trust anyone anymore um, because you think you have a piece of land that you call your own and then they come along and can just bulldoze you out of it, you know. It's like, so I don't trust anyone. But despite that personal anguish, the Economic Development Minister says the dam project is within the scope of the Public Works Act. Stephen Joyce says the Act can be used to take land for private companies if it's determined there's a wider benefit for the community. The Public Works Act is used in a range of areas where private investment is involved. 
um, including, as I mentioned, telecommunications um, and electricity. Uh, and these are all benefits. So yes, there might be private shareholders uh, who take the risk and, and uh, who receive dividends from the project, uh, but the public certainly receive the benefit, for example, of electricity um, generation or for the provision of telecommunications. Uh, and, uh, and similarly in this instance, uh, again, not familiar with these details, but in terms of the Public Works Act, um, if there's a benefit, it, it would come across the whole of, uh, whole of the region. Sir Geoffrey Palmer says he welcomes initiatives to bring economic growth but continues to be worried about the focus on development at what he sees at the expense of the environment. He says New Zealand's environmental watchdog, the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, needs to be listened to and further substantial investigations need to be done. Not only are we having big irrigation uh, works done, they are being subsidised by the government. And so it's subsidised uh, pollution that will end up here unless we are very, very careful. I, I think uh, that really these policy adjustments uh, are not uh, at all in terms of what public opinion thinks about the importance of the environment. And one of the things about the policies that have been announced is that uh, they're not supported by proper analysis. They're, they are supported by sound bites and they're supported by anecdote, but they are not supported by rigorous policy analysis of the sort one would expect for changes of this magnitude. The Lua Dam is a water storage project that has made the most progress under the government's irrigation policy, but it's suffered a major speed wobble recently when a proposed investor, Trustpower, pulled out saying the investment of $50 million was too risky and the returns were not high enough. Naitahu was a piggyback investor with Trust Power, relying on its expertise in building and investing in dams to guide its investment. It has warned it will also back out unless alternative institutional investors can be found. The Board of Inquiry is due to report back on the Luatanafar Dam in about two weeks on whether resource consents will be granted. But perhaps the biggest hurdle the Council faces is convincing farmers on the Luatanafar Plains to sign up to buy water. It must sell 40 million tonnes of the 90 million tonnes of water available for construction to begin. But expressions of interest signed by farmers total 47 million tonnes. Uncertainty hangs over how many of those expressions of interest can be converted to signed contracts for water by the deadline at the end of June. I'm Peter Fowler and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philip Atolli with technical production by Jeremy Veal.